Good morning. How are you? Good. Good to be with you guys this morning. And uh, I thought when you put the slide up during the worship song, Chad, we were really trying to get you guys there. If you like this, come to this. I didn't know it was on accident. You know, last week was really amazing. If, if you weren't there, you can watch the service, but it is important to celebrate legacy. It is important to know that we are a part of continuing a legacy, that uh, God has ordained a church to be here in Long Beach and affecting people for now over 100 years. And I think if you could pray for something, continue to pray that God is leading us and that we're listening to him where he is leading us because he has plans for the church, plans that we, we didn't expect, right, Larry, when you guys started the conversation, did you expect that this, we would be here now, right? God does what he does, but we need to maintain being faithful and following his lead and continuing the legacy. We had this phrase We'd always say, especially when Chad and I would get the most fearful, and we'd say, and he said it last week, God wants this church more than we do, so let's not worry. God wants this church more than we do. I think we can translate that into our own individual lives. God wants you to fulfill your call more than you do. God has a plan for you that's very real. And he wants that for you probably more than you do yourself. We were in community group, and one of the questions we were asked was, can you tell us something funny that you experienced at the church? Now, I have a lot of experience within the church, and uh, I was my mind started racing in our community group. You know, a few people had things that, that, that happened. Mine were all very much having to do with, like, all the things of going on in the church and I was just thinking like man I've got like a hundred stories of funny things but it was really weird because I started thinking of funny things and then they my mind started going to like failures isn't this how we are then my mind started going to failures like oh it was funny but it was not funny at the time you know what I mean scary things discouraging things and embarrassing things when I was thinking about it, I just thought, man, there's so many times that I would make a mistake on stage, but you're so forgiving. Like, I talked last week, yes, I preached a whole sermon with my zipper down, and I started doing, like, illustrations. It was not good. And I literally was like, I can't show up next week. There was a time that some of you may remember, um, I'm not a great speller, just so you know, and I was just in a, kind of in a rush typing my sermon slides, and uh, I was talking about, you know, like Paul reaching the Gentiles, and he's saying, like, why would we make them be circumcised, like they're circumcised in the heart, and I had typed in, my point was Gentile inclusion, but it was actually spell-checked, and it said genital inclusion, <laughs> It worked, it fit, but I literally afterwards, as it's pointed out to me, I thought, oh man, how do I get back up there? <laughs> My son pointed out to me one time when I was quoting um, Stevie Wonder that I said, man, can you imagine every time Stevie Wonder sees flowers, he must think of his mom, and my son goes, Dad, you know he was blind, right? And I was like, 
I'll tell you what, though. And, and, and I say all that to say this, is that I wrote this kind of down for myself to remember, is we don't always know the path. We, we, we don't always see the promised land and, and, or even know the obstacles that are coming our way, but I have to remind myself, we have to remind ourselves that one thing that we do know is we know God has called us and we know what his will is and all we have to do is stay the course. That's all we have to do. So every single Sunday, whether it's wonderful or it's like, wow, I can't believe that happened on Sunday. Or, wow, that was my experience. We stay the course. And in our life, it's that way. Paul's going to give us a great example of staying the course. Paul's going to show us and model for us, of which he learned from Christ, that we do not get distracted when we stay the course and we follow God's will. I titled this message, Staying the Course. I have one question. I want you to think about the entire message, and it will be on the screen the entire time. I want you to go out this week, and I want you to think about this question. And this whole message is to bring us to the point to answer this question. Is God's will the loudest voice? Is his will the loudest voice in your life? I think from Paul we can see, and it's going to shape in this story, that it is the loudest voice in Paul's life. Man, there's so many voices in our life. There's so many distractions in our life. There are things that when we might feel it's God leading us to do something, there's a million reasons why not to follow that voice. But Paul was able to tune all of that out even though it was scary, it was frustrating, and it was discouraging, Paul would just focus in, and he knew the loudest voice was God's will in his life. In this message, we're going to learn to tune our ear to hear the will of God. And I think we're going to learn on how to follow and stay focused on it. We can, we can, we can lose course sometimes. I would ask for everyone or someone to raise their hand if they've ever lost the course of what God's will was in their life. And I'm, I don't even need to. I know every single person could raise their hand here. I've had enough experience in church that many times we will question whether to continue to follow what God has called us to do or get distracted or fearful or shy back. So I'm going to give you just four things in this message, but I think this first one is so important. It doesn't have to do necessarily with the text of Acts 21, but it frames the text of Acts 21. When we read the Bible, we can sometimes be disconnected because we're not along the journey of some of the things we read. So when we see someone like Paul, we go, that's impossible. How did he come to that mindset? Why is he so bold? Why is he walking in such faith? I want to do you a favor and frame a little bit so we can see actually what's happening within Paul's statements. And so we're going to frame how to follow God's will. We need to know how to follow his will. It's important. The second thing we're going to see once we break into the text is Paul's trust in God's will beyond distraction, beyond emotion, beyond fear. He trusts God's will. We're going to look at Paul's willingness to practice what he preaches to be all things to all people in this text. And then lastly, we're going to see Paul, he seeks 
any and every opportunity to fulfill God's will. No matter who is in front of him, he will complete the task. I love that resilience in him. It's amazing. So first, let's just ask this question. How do you follow God's will? And maybe you're asking this question. Maybe you know it for yourself. But I think we should go into it. First, you have to ask, what is his will? Uh, I have had moments in my life, and I don't know about you, but where I feel like God's will is, is leading me to something. It's personal. It's individual. It's not corporate. It's me. Many times, while I've been even leading in this church, I know that I have been able to at least separate the difference between what God is leading me to personally and what God is leading the church to. So I never try to impose my personal calling that God has in a will for me on the church. I always want to make sure that the way the church is led, it's God's corporate vision and will for the church. So there's a difference in that. Paul has an individual calling in to follow God's will for a specific thing in here. It's not corporate, but his mentality should be focused on. What is God's will? I'll make it super easy for you corporately. And there's a lot more. I just wrote down a few just off the top of my head. One, God's will is to make disciples. If you want to know what God's will is, Jesus said, go and make disciples. These are all from Jesus. Be bold. You want to know what God's will is? Be bold. Don't be timid. Don't shy back. Don't be an apologetic person about your faith. Be bold. Love your neighbor, even the one that blows their leaves over into your yard. Even the one, like my loving neighbor who was partying until 2 a.m., God bless that neighbor. But even the one who's at work, even the one who is your neighbor, maybe it's your spouse, love your neighbor. That's in God's will. Run from sin. That is in God's will. Sin, it's very clear. It is enticing. But once it gets into your life, it grows and develops. And then it gives birth to death. So run. That's in God's will. Run from sin. Walk after Jesus. How he walked, where he walked. Stand for truth. This is in the corporate will of the church. Stand for truth. Live in justice, live for justice, be merciful, and then practice the life of forgiveness. If you want to know what God's will is corporately, that's just a few of what we are called to do as a church to follow in God's will. Now, there will be your individual calling that God has. It's maybe his will in your life, and that will be between you and God to sort out and to hear and follow through. But I'll just give you a few things on how to follow God's will. These are only three. There's probably more. But we can learn from Scripture on how to follow God's will. One is fight temptation. We're going to see Paul do it. But Jesus gives us the best moment to fight temptation, to be distracted from God's will. It is so easy to, to, to go one way or the other. But to stay focused and fight temptation to be distracted from his will. Luke 22, Jesus is in the garden. His disciples can't even stay awake for him, his last night. He is a distance away, and he gets down, and he begins to pray. And he says these words, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knows what's coming. 
And in the moment, in all of his humanness at the time, he is, he is going, whoo, And But he says, not my will, but yours be done, God. I submit myself to you. That is following God's will. It takes courage to do that, but he leads the way. Fight temptation. That's how you follow God's will. Now, this one is interesting. I, 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 I can only tell it this way. Be relentless about revelation. Revelation is when something is revealed to you that is life-changing. It's like, you know how that thing is, is where you can't unknow what you know now? Once, you re once somebody reveals themselves to you, you're like, I can't, I can't unknow. Now I know this. Now I can't think about you any different. When God shows you something, you got to be relentless about the revelation that's been shown in your life. Paul himself writes to the Ephesians, and listen to these words. They're so good. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, meaning our life, our actions, the areas God's sanctifying us in. That, you know that thing where you're like, oh, man, I know that is definitely sin, what I'm doing. And the light is shined on it, and it's clear for you to see. You can't unsee it now. It would only be willful disobedience to go back to that. And so he says, listen, when it's brought into the light, then it's visible. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper. I love this. And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Meaning this, now that you have become awakened to something, why return to something that was killing you? Look, therefore, on how you walk. And not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of our time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be relentless about revelation. This is how you follow God's will. You do not return to things that God's will is for you to be transformed and to be a light into the world and to shine bright, but return to those things that were once in the dark. That's how you follow God's will. You're relentless about revelation. When God shows you his will, Fight to stay in it. The last thing on how to follow God's will is to trust the forming path. Oh, man. I have this thing where I get up at night, and um, as I'm getting older, is this happened? you go to the bathroom more? I don't know what's going on. I need to figure this out. Speak to your urologist. I don't understand. But I'll just get up, and I'm like, why am I awake at 3 in the morning? But in, at night, I pretty much got my room memorized so i think and every the last night i did it again i got up i walked over and i'm like i know where i'm going and there's a door that comes out like this and boom i hit it right in my face and then i got discombobulated and i was like i don't i don't know where i'm at and then i went to go into the bathroom door and open it and then i just grabbed the wrong handle put my wrist down i was like okay feeling around it was a nightmare and then i stepped on our dog on the way back it was bad but i think that I can pretty much figure out places that, you know, that I'm familiar with. But God's going to take you out of places like that. And he's going to lead you into places that you don't know and you cannot see. And you yourself cannot guide yourself. So you have to trust in the forming path. That's how you follow God's will. It will take a tremendous amount of faith and trust in who he is. You know, Isaiah 41, there's a great piece of scripture here in verse 41, uh, sorry, chapter 41, verse 3. And Isaiah is dealing with the people who are conquered. 
And he is speaking to them through God. And he is, they don't know it yet, but God is going to win a war by proxy through another nation to liberate the people. And here's what he says to comfort them. For I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. This is that forming path. God's like, you can't quite see it. You're in captivity. You're conquered. You're a defeated people. I am going to do something you would never think would happen. And I'm going to liberate you. But you're just going to have to hold my hand. And I'm going to lead you away. the way. That is how you follow God's will. Is you just have to trust the forming path. And it doesn't always make sense. I know when we were talking about even with this church. God had to hold me by the hand. And say, Ryan, this is the right thing to do. I'm taking you this way. And eventually I just said, I'm going to walk. It's, it's just what he does. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it up to Acts chapter 21. And let's pray before we get started into reading. God, we thank you so much for today. God, I thank you so much for last year or this last week's celebration. And God, I thank you for what you're doing in the future here at the church. I thank you, God, that you are, we, we can, we, we never need to worry that your plan is, is trustworthy, God. We can only trust in that you are good and your plans are good. And we have faith and hope and trust in that in this life or the next, God, we will experience victory because the battle is yours, God. The victory is ours. And so, God, we love you and we thank you. As we read this scripture, God, I pray that not one person leaves the same when they think about how deeply they trust who you are, no matter what they see, and they trust your will. And let it be done, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You, you can put this picture up on the screen, Chad. This is kind of where... Paul has been sailing. He was uh, my, at Miletus saying goodbye to his Ephesian elders. He is now making his way kind of island hopping, land hopping, and eventually to Tyre and then down and then to Caesarea is where he's going to end up. Paul is on a big boat. I've been read a lot about Roman boats just in preparation for this, but I'll just say one thing. The boat he is on is fascinating because it's bigger than this room. It's, tall, it's as tall as this room. And what Paul would do is pitch his little tent, and he's on this little journey, and they would fit 300 people on these boats. This is not an easy journey. Paul's journey was difficult. It was hard, and we're going to see it even gets more difficult later in Acts. But Paul is determined to make his way back to Jerusalem for the Pentecost festival. And so he's on his way, and we'll pick up at this very, uh, in uh, chapter 21, verse 8. And we're going to see something here in 21, verse 8, and it's going to embody what we as believers need to do, is that he is going to trust God's will beyond distraction. Beyond emotion, beyond fear, he's going to trust it. And on the next day, we departed and we came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, one who was of the seven. We got to stop there. Now, the Bible's beautiful. It's beautiful. And what I love, what happens here is if you look all the way back in Acts and you remember, he's, this is Philip. He's one of the seven. One of the seven being that they were designated to take care of the widows and orphans. 
right? The widows especially. And he was one of the ones who was with Stephen. So Stephen, the one who was the first martyr, and then Philip. These were kind of the powerhouse. They were friends. And if we remember, Paul is one of the people who was there when Stephen was stoned to death. And Paul was the one who actually, because of Saul at the time, Philip is living in Caesarea because of the persecution that Paul brought. So I love the completion of this story. Because now Paul is going to enter into what Stephen and what Philip faced. And the very person Paul drove out is the very person who's going to welcome him into his own place. And he stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were with him staying many days, the prophet named Agabus. Now this guy was earlier on in Acts. And he prophesied, and he's probably one of the prominent ones of the New Testament, and he's one who pro prophesied futuristically. And he is going to prophesy again and validate what God has planned for Paul. And he came down from Judea, and coming uh, to us, he took Paul's belt from around his feet, or, or sorry, uh, beyond, or bound his feet in his hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, very important, this is from God. This is how the Jews at uh, Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. Now, Agabus doesn't have an opinion on this. He's just speaking what God has told him to speak. But everyone else has an opinion about this. Everybody who's traveling with him. Luke is with him because of the word we we see here. Timothy is with him. Some of his closest friends are with him. And the people in Caesarea are with him. And Philip is there too. And it says, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. This is very hard. Because even in the midst of his friends, even in the midst of his confidants, he still has to stay the path. It's hard when you are following God's will and everyone else thinks you're crazy. It's hard when you're sticking to the path and everyone else says, there's a lot of different avenues off that path and they try to convince you not to do it. And it's especially hard when it's people you love and trust. This is why you see Paul, is, his, his ability to stick with God's will is way beyond distraction. I, attend, I had the privilege of attending a celebration of life for the pastor of Parkcrest who just passed away tragically. And it was a, a, an, an unbelievable two-hour glorifying God of the life of this person. His name is Jared Wilkins, and at the funeral, his wife got up, and she said, I do, do not want this to be called a funeral. I do not want this to be called a memorial. I want this to be a celebration of his life and what God did through his life. And I was like, uh-oh, wow. And she said, I want us to worship. And it was a worship service. We worshiped for an hour. And I was taken aback because, you know, when I think about it, it was such a display that was really good for me to see of a people who didn't lose hope, that God has a plan for that church, and that Jared is with God. And I watched his dad get up, and his dad is a pastor, and he got up, and I was just so blown away because his father said, hey, he was 
broken when he heard the news of this tragic death. But it was amazing what he said. He said, God just then spoke to me and said, no, 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 no. Like, I lent Jared to you. And now he's with me. You got to have the privilege of having him. But I lent him to you. And for a father to say that, I was just like, wow. It blew me away. One of his best friends who's a pastor said, Jared wouldn't want death to have its final victory. He won. He's already won. The victory was that what God did through Jared's life for 40 years. What a perspective. What a mentality. It was celebrating who God was and it'll weather them through difficult storms. We as a church... We need to be praying for Parkcrest Church. You know, please keep them in your prayers. Please keep Shauna and his in in those kids in your prayers. Because, but what I witnessed as another pastor, I literally was blown away. There was well over a thousand people there, and they got to experience what it means. And it felt so authentic to what we're reading here with Paul. I had to mention it. So listen to what Paul says, and it's reminding me of the funeral. They're going, no, no, Paul, no, we cannot lose. And that's what Paul says. Paul answered, what are you doing? You're weeping and breaking my heart. He says, for I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of Jesus. Why the funeral reminded me of that is because no one was weeping but celebrating that God doesn't leave us alone. And God used someone mightily. And God will take care of that church. And God is for those people. Even in death, right, Paul realizes that death has no grip anymore. And when Paul has come to this conclusion, which his followers have not realized fully yet, Paul is free. He's absolutely free to follow where God wants him to go. And he is distraction-free to say, wherever you lead me, God, I will go. I think he draws a little bit of it from Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Meaning this, in all of your ways, how you live, just trusting in his will, acknowledging he is in control, and he will lead you down the straight path. Don't be distracted at all. I'm going to do my best to pronounce this name. I'm absolutely going to butcher it. Immaculate Elbagia. I think I got it right. She wrote a, a book called Left to Tell. And she, the subtitle is Discovering God in the Midst of the Rwandan Holocaust. She was a survivor of the Holocaust there. She was of the opposite tribe of the Hutu. She was hiding in a Hutu pastor's uh, changing room. Her and seven other people for 91 days in 12 square feet to avoid the massacre. She lost almost her entire family. And she writes this about God's will. But I came to learn that God never shows us something we aren't ready to understand. Instead, he lets us see what we need to see when we need to see it. He'll wait until our eyes and our hearts are open to him. And then when we're ready, he will plant our feet on the path that's best for us. But it's up to us to do the walking. 
I thought that was profound wisdom from someone who has experienced so much and still trusts God that he has a path and he has a plan and we have to trust him. At the funeral, they were singing this song that just kind of got in my head. I had never heard this song. I, I don't know how I had never heard this worship song. And it's called Firm Foundation by Cody Carnes. And while they were singing it, I was just blown away. And he, here's a piece of the song that they were singing for their congregation. And, and, and a piece of the lyric is this. Rain came and wind blew, but my house was built on you. Right? I'm safe with you. And I'm going to make it through. I love that trust. No matter the difficulty, no matter the hardship, rain comes, the wind blows, but my house, it's built on you and I'm going to make it through. Paul has this mentality. He is not distracted by the things around, no matter how difficult he is following God's will. Let me pick you up into the story. We'll skip uh, a few verses here. But it's been over six years since Paul has been back to Jerusalem to talk about what has been going on since Acts chapter 15. It's been a long time. People change in six years. I haven't seen people in six years. They're like, wow, you have gray in your beard. And I'm like, I know. And I've lived a lot of life. Did you know I had cancer? This is crazy. A lot has changed, right? People are shocked when we catch up after six years. Paul is coming back. And he is share, getting ready to share all the things that God has done. He is bringing aid that he has collected to bring back to the Jerusalem church that is suffering and struggling greatly. He is bringing testimony. Chad, you can put this map up from all these different cities all over to say, look what God has done. Look at all these cities. There are churches. There are leaders. There are elders. And the church is flourishing and then he brought testimonies from Luke, Timothy, and many others who are with him, traveling and saying, you've got to hear these guys talk. And so this is kind of the situation that Paul finds himself in in Acts 21, 17. When we came to, the Jerusalem, when we came to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Now, here's where we're going to see where Paul is going to embody his own words, was to be all things to all people. This is probably one of the most confusing parts of scripture for a lot of people because they're wondering why Paul does what he does. But if you remember what he said, you can understand what he, why he does what he does. And so here we go. It says, uh, they received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went in with, uh, with us to James. James is the leader of the church. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And he is leading. Most of the disciples are probably not even leading in the church at this time. And it goes on to say, uh, with James and all the elders were present, after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. I don't know how long this meeting was. This could have been an all-day ordeal. But one by one, and he's got his leaders who have converted and who are following Christ, and he's got all these cities he can tell stories about, and when they heard it, they were glorified. And after this, James changes the tone of this conversation, because Paul's prophecy, Paul's calling was going to intersect him with an issue that has been plaguing him all of his journey. And this is what James says to him, you see, brother, there are many thousands there are among the Jews of those who believe, right? 
There are people who are all here who are, Jew, who are Jews who believe. Listen to what he says. They are zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews among the Gentiles. So basically, everywhere you've gone, Paul, this is what's been reported back, that you're doing these things. To forsake Moses, which is a lie. Telling them not to circumcise their children, which is a lie. And then walk, or to walk according to their custom, which is a lie. So these are fabricated lies that Paul comes back to celebrate all the work. And they're saying, yeah, but there's a problem, Paul. You're in trouble. And then verse 22, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. And James instructs them. Listen, Paul, I can tell these people till I'm blue in my face that you didn't do any of those things. But they need to see that you are someone who values tradition honors Moses and is about our tradition. So we're going to ask you to enter into a vow with these other men and complete this vow. And we want you to, on that final day, you'll enter into the temple and you'll make the sacrifice. And everyone will not just hear me say that those aren't true, but they'll see that you are someone who embraces our tradition. Now, did Paul need to do that? No. Could he have just said, like, are you kidding me? I brought you aid. I brought you testimony. I don't care what they think. But no, I love Paul because he is all things to all people for God's will. 1 Corinthians 19, 9, 4. Though I am free from all, Paul says, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. We're seeing this happen now. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. Paul is, Paul is willing to do anything to fulfill the will of God, which is to reach people for Christ. I, I respect his game. Acts 9, if you remember back to the very beginning calling where God called Paul, threw him off the horse, right, blinded him. This is what he said to Ananias, who's going to instruct Paul. And he says, uh, go, for if he is a chosen instrument, or for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to carry my name. This is God's will for Paul. Before the Gentiles and kings, which we'll see next week, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Paul knows that suffering is in God's will for him. It will be difficult because the places he's going to go is where people will not go. Paul is, not, is very, very, very content with bringing, making people uncomfortable so they can hear the truth. He is not afraid of that. He does not shy back. And he is following in God's will, and we're going to see where it becomes very uncomfortable for Paul. He's in the temple. He's finishing some Jews from Ephesus. Some of the leaders in the city of Ephesus, who we had issues with before, are there. And they're spreading these rumors about him. But then they allege all of those things plus one. And the plus one is a bad one. The plus one is that Paul had brought a Gentile into the temple, and that is a death sentence for Paul. So they got him. He did not do it, but they got him. 
Because all those other three things are very difficult to prosecute him on. This one is easy to prosecute him on. And they don't need the Romans. And they don't need a council. They can beat him to death right there. And so it's a big deal. They drag him into the Gentile court. If you can put this up on the screen, Chad, just to give you an idea. The Gentile court is this side over here. You see this garrison right here. That's a Roman garrison. So it will make sense how quickly the response happens here. Um, you can leave that up for a second, Chad. And in Jerusalem, during the Pentecost, there was observers from all over. So it's swelling with people. Rome has a problem because many two-year term leaders there are in corruption. And they're frustrating the Jewish people that they're beginning to start to slowly revolt. And so they're afraid a riot's going to break out. And the crowd is all over Paul. They're beating him and they want to beat him and tear him apart, and they want to kill him. And so there's a riot, and it's chaos, and it's happening. They're looking up at these guard towers up here, and they're going like, something's going on down there. they got to get down there ASAP, because the leader is afraid that if the city goes into a riot, he potentially would lose his life. So this is why they act so fast. They take him, they pull him out, and it leads us into this last thing with God's will. Why we can learn from Paul. Uh, even though he is being beaten to death by these people, he is being lied about, he is being slandered. He, he, I, I just appreciate it. He never misses an opportunity to share the gospel. You know when somebody really, really upsets you and frustrates you, the last thing you want to do is tell them how good God is? You'll be like, well, I mean, maybe you deserve hell. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like, you know how hard it is to, to really reach out and forgive someone who's an enemy? Do you know how hard it is to look across at that person and just say, I'm going to love you regardless of this because I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to you for God. And so this is what Paul does. He never misses an opportunity to follow God's will. Acts 21, 37. As Paul was about to be brought out into, brought out into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, and he said do you know Greek? Are you, are you not the Egyptian, this is the tribute saying to Paul, are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness who were still out there? They had 30,000 people, the Romans killed a bunch of them, and 4,000 fled. And he's thinking, oh, this must be the guy, because there's a huge riot. They don't want any more people to die. And he's shocked that he is not the Egyptian. And Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Sicilia. And a citizen of no obscure city, and it wasn't, it was prominent in the Roman world. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. <laughs> I don't know about you. He's my hero. Permit me to speak to the people who just were beating me to death. They need to hear the truth. And so he goes on, he says, and when he had given him permission, Paul standing on the steps, go back to that photo, Chad. This, uh, these steps right there, see them on this side, right out here? They were all gathered there, and that is where Paul addresses them on the steps. Motioning with his hand, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, well, you got to wait till next week what he says, but it's good. It's so good. 
I'll close with this. I was reading about Martin Luther King, and I was trying to try, trying to uh, see these similarities between his mentality, speaking to those who hate you, and speaking truth. Martin Luther King was brave because he believed something brave. He was at uh, Gross Point School in Detroit area. And he was speaking to a hostile crowd. I was reading the observation of one of the police chiefs who was controlling the, the atmosphere. And he said he had never been more fearful in his life because it was so much hostility. There were so many people resistant to have Martin Luther King speak about desegregation, inequality. And as he got up on the stage, there were people who were heckling him. And he just kept speaking and he kept speaking truth. And it was an amazing scene because it would be moments where people would applaud, moments where people are booing. I don't know what that's like. I've never had any of you boo me. Don't do this now. But it would be so hard to speak to those because he's not speaking to the ones who are applauding. He's speaking to the ones who are booing. And that takes courage. And that takes that he believes something more than those boos. And this is what reminded me of Paul so much. When you trust that something is true and you're following God's will, even people who hate you do not hold back. That's how you follow God's will. I read this fantastic quote from uh, uh, the, uh, one of the fathers of psychology, uh, Carl Jung, and I had to think about it for a second. And then I read a bunch of commentaries about how people interpreted this, this, this quote. And I read one that really, I really loved, and they said this, what he is speaking to is what we see in Paul and in Jesus. And listen to this. Resistance to the organized mass can be affected only by the man who is as well organized in his individuality as the mass itself. Oof. It's good. Paul is so organized in his identity in who Christ is and what God's will is that it is equal to the masses' hatred towards him, so Paul stands confident. You can only then match the outside forces with your inside resolve as the same. And I just have this question. In the mass of pressure and fear, distraction and chaos, are you a person organized in your identity in Christ and his calling, because this is the only way they will resist the mass of distraction, fear, and terror, to follow God's will. And Paul has this clearly, like Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, where he is nevertheless your will. Like Paul encouraging the Ephesians, keep what's in the light, hang on to what's been revealed, and fight to keep it. That's God's will. And like Isaiah to a word of a conquered people, that you're going to have to hold God's hand and just trust him when you can't see it. And like Paul's words to his attackers, you must be organized in your identity strong enough that it fights the, the powers and forces around you. And that's what these men have in common. That's what people like, like Yisula, like, like what she had in common, is something stronger so I have one question, and then we'll pray. Is God's will the loudest voice in your life? You have to think about it this week. you got to tell me what you, what you think. Is it, is, is it the loudest voice? 
And I just will encourage you to say, may you stay the course when things get difficult your way, like some of these people worry about, and especially what we see in Paul. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for pioneers of faith like Paul, people who are willing to, to, to follow you at all costs, people who are willing to say in the midst of people whom they love and who don't understand, but just, just saying, hey, listen, I will follow Christ all the way to the end. Nevertheless, your will, God, not mine. And God, may we be a people that trust in your will. May we be a people that, that take courage. And we are so grounded and rooted in who you are and who we are to you that we do not get distracted. We stay the course. And so we can proudly answer that we have the loudest voice and it's your will. And that we clearly hear that and follow it. God, let us be a people who are bold, not afraid. We know who we are and we know who is leading us. God, the world needs that. And we, we, we know you know that. Help us know that. Bold believers who are following in the will of the Lord for the world, for you, God, to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As we worship this last song, would you stand with me?